Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm really excited about talking about the conversation I had with my friend uh, Michael Walworth, the CEO of Yext. Basically, the yellow pages on the internet. It's a, a great concept, and uh, you know he's taking that company and taking it forward. I love listening to this interview because Michael actually started his career as a bartender. And I have a pre three more questions question for you, David. Did you ever tend a bar? No, I never tended bar, but uh, I will tell you this. I have hired bartenders before and I think they make great executives. I hired uh, Denny Post, who uh, later went on to be a, become a CEO. Um, but I'm sure being a bartender teaches you a lot about human nature, teaches you how to interact with customers. And there's a lot to be learned from uh, any kind of service job. It certainly helps you understand the complexity of human beings. And I think that's part of the reason why Michael has been so successful. Without further ado, let's just get on to the questions for today. Okay, good, let's go. Question number one. In the interview, you asked Mike what his key to growth is, and he said that really it's because he questions everything he sees and tries to figure out how to build something better. David, I kind of think of this concept as perpetual curiosity. What else can you say about this idea of always questioning things and trying to build something better? The best leaders, the best entrepreneurs I've ever met, they all are curious, just want to know how things work. They want to know what needs to be done to make the world better. And then they figure out what the problem is and then they go about solving it. And that, that curiosity just opens up all kinds of doors. And Michael talks about how the best founders live in the future and then they build what's missing. And that's really how you disrupt categories. That curiosity and thinking about how you can make the world better and, and what if, asking yourself, what if, that's how you, you really change the game in the world. In the interview you did with Uri Levine, you know, he just wrote this book called Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution. And I think, you know, this interview with Michael solidifies that concept even more. It is how you disrupt categories. And if you focus on solving the most important problem that your customers experience the most often, not only are you going to create value for the customer, you're also going to build a successful business. If you think also about the uh, conversation I had with Jeff Yang, I mean, he's a serial entrepreneur, buys all these startups and works with startups. I mean, he comes at the world the same way. And I've got a podcast coming up with Nat Turner, who's the CEO of Collectibles. You know, you'll find that he's created lots of new businesses by thinking about how to solve problems and being curious about the world. Well, it's certainly a theme among our podcast guests and great leaders everywhere. All right. Question number two. Mike's been through a number of acquisitions in his career, most notably when he sold Right Media, one of his companies, to Yahoo. In the interview, I love when you ask him about selling your baby. That is this idea of how to get comfortable with giving up a thing that you've spent all of your time building. He says that in the end, the decision to sell Right Media was a gut call. And he actually said that if he had stayed independent, he likely would have built a much bigger business. David, I'm so curious, how should leaders approach selling their companies? I mean, it's got to be more than just a gut decision, right? Is there criteria that leaders should analyze when thinking about selling? 
Well, first of all, never underestimate the power of your gut, especially the power of the gut of a great entrepreneur. It's that gut instinct that led them to start that business. It's that gut instinct that helped them figure out what problems they need to solve. So your gut is something that you should listen to. So number one, I would listen to your gut. If your gut is telling you that you need to do something, I would really test that and do everything I could to figure out if that's right or wrong. When you you have something that you've developed and you've got this company up and running, deciding when to sell or whether to sell is always a huge question. Most of the time, I think entrepreneurs think about selling when they feel like their company has maybe stalled a little bit and that they need to have more resources, more capital so that they can grow the company even further. I think that's usually the number one reason why people sell is they feel like they can just grow a lot faster if they can get additional resources to it. I think very rarely does someone sell just to make the buck. You know, I did talk to an entrepreneur recently who started the company and she's basically just run out of gas on really growing her company, doesn't think she can raise a lot of lot more capital and and just the stress of being a founder and you know, having a family has just gotten to her to the point now where she wants to sell. That's a personal decision. So I think you have to, you know, look at your business, figure out what you need to do to really grow it. Look at your personal situation, figure out where you're at and whether you want to keep grinding away, doing the building the business that you've created and then make a call. But I do think in the end, you're never a hundred percent right. It comes down to, to trusting your gut, trusting your instincts after you do the analysis. Okay. Question two B, because I know you love my follow-up questions. Have you ever made a decision that was primarily made because you had a gut call that you couldn't resist paying attention to? Well, I'm not an overly analytical person. You know, I think a lot of my calls, particularly with people, come down with what my gut instincts tell me. I really try to trust my gut instincts when I think about people, whether I'd want to work with them, whether I'd want to hire them, whether they need to go. You know, I never do this in a willy-nilly fashion, but in the end, I think it does come back to my gut, and that's when I'll make the call. But I use my gut instinct, I think, mostly with people. The other thing cool is I was in the marketing business, and you're looking at ideas all the time and evaluating new campaigns. That's when you got to listen to your gut. You know, if your gut tells you you got a big idea, you typically you do. If you start finding yourself trying to talk yourself into thinking that it's a big idea, it's usually not. So, you know, I think when I was judging creative ideas, making decisions, on whether we should go one direction or another direction after seeing a presentation or, or hearing what our people had to say. I always rely on my gut. I think that's okay. You know, it's quite refreshing for me to hear you say that because I too am a very instinctual person and not overly analytical. And there's kind of this big debate around should you listen to your gut or should you always rely on factual data and evidence? And I think it's kind of always a mixture of both, but I much more lean towards the gut instinct piece. So I really appreciate your thoughts on that. Well, I think you've said it best. It is a mixture of both. I think in this case, it'd probably be what Jim Collins calls the magic of the end. You want to get all the analysis, all the facts you can before you make a decision. But then when you make that decision, it's based on experience and instincts and how you're feeling about the decision you have to make. I think that's perfectly fine. 
All right, question number three. Mike says the biggest leadership challenge he faces is change management, specifically communicating why and how the company is going to change. His process involves what he calls radical delegation of responsibility. David, what advice can you offer leaders who are navigating change within their organization? Well, I like this idea of radical delegation of responsibility, but that delegation only should happen after you've engaged your team told them everything that you know about a particular situation, why you need to have change, gotten their input so that you could hear their assessments, and then you go forward. And I always believe that's when you can delegate. You can't delegate by just telling people what to do. You can delegate once you get people committed. And I always say no involvement always leads to not a heck of a lot of commitment. In fact, I'd still go so far to say, say no commitment. The thing to be remember about change is that people don't like it. People do not like to change. You know, you have to create sort of a burning platform. You have to say, hey, look, if we don't make this change, you know, this is what's going to happen to our business. You know, we're going to languish. We're going to go back. We're not going to be as successful as we could be. But you got to give people that rationale on why the change is required. And then let's face it, as the leader Once you start a change initiative, your job is to communicate, 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 and communicate again, and make sure that uh, people know where you're at in the process, and you take the time to celebrate the progress you're making that's going to ultimately get you to where you want to go. I love that advice you give. I was actually in a conversation with a friend this past weekend. She has a team of 50 people. She works for a a large real estate company, and they're thinking about going back into the office and making it required for people to be there five days a week. And she was kind of not complaining, but just sharing about some of the attitudes of her team members around this idea of going back to office. And she was saying, you know, what's your experience with this? What should I do? And I took a page out of David Novak's book and said, it's so important to understand the perceptions, the habits, and beliefs of the people that you lead in order to really empathize with them and understand where they are, especially when there's a change that you're about to roll out. Because I think that the people who will resist change the most are the ones who feel like their opinion isn't heard. So I love this idea of always starting by listening to the people that you lead just so they feel heard and valued. And then communicating, communicating, and communicating the why behind the change you're making. And you know, going back to work is really a good example. I mean, why should people now go from the home and go back to work? I think it's the leader's job to explain what's missing, you know, what needs to be done to go forward. So, you know, maybe you're not getting the collaboration you need. Maybe your competition has brought everybody back to work and they're outperforming you. I don't know what it is, but I think it's a leader's job to develop the rationale so that people know that there's good reason to make the change you're asking them to do. Absolutely. David, this was a great three more questions. And the episode with Michael Walrath is wildly entertaining and hilarious. So if you have not listened to it, I highly recommend going back into the feed and giving it a listen. He's super engaging has a great story and some really excellent insights around entrepreneurship and leadership that I think you'll learn a lot from. 
Well, Michael is a great entrepreneur. He started up companies. He's been named the Entrepreneur of the Year. And, the, you know, he's just got a fantastic track record. And the other thing about Michael is he owns one of the most popular and I think one of the greatest golf experiences in the United States when he founded his uh, new club, Ohoopy. It's just a great golf course, great experience. And, uh, you know, I recently had the opportunity to play in a member member there with Brad Richards, who will be one of our upcoming guests as we go into the Stanley Cup. Man, you ought to see that guy hit the golf ball. I mean, he absolutely <laughs> kills it. I, these hockey players are amazing. But anyway, he's the member there and he took me there and I had had a fantastic time, met a lot of really terrific people. But the thing I was really impressed with, which I think you'll enjoy hearing from Michael, is just how he, you know, how he's really created an experience for his guests there. I mean, he really thought it through. It's very unique, very different, and separates a hoopy from the, the rest of the golfing world. Well, he's got great ideas and executes them really, really well, which is no doubt why he has been so successful in his career as an entrepreneur. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well. And remember, tune in Thursday for my conversation with Bill Farish, the founder of Woodford Racing and the general manager of Lane Send, which is one of the world's premier thoroughbred breeding farms, if not the preeminent thoroughbred breeding farm. So, you know, Bill's uh, another great friend and uh, can't wait for you to learn about the horse business and how he leads. <music>